section of the conference. The theme of this session is Advaita in Leadership, Science and Sustainability. We have uh, totally four papers to be presented here. Uh, I request Sri Kuntimaddi Sadhanandji to uh, chair the session. He is also the moderator of the session. And uh, uh, you can call upon each uh, paper. Thank you. Uh, there are four presentations. And the first one is Oneness Management Strategy by Dr. Vinod, Dr. Satish, and Ramakrishna Pajayatai. Haryom. Today we are presenting a paper on strategy for oneness looking from a different lens. I have my colleagues also, Dr. Satish and Dr. Ramakrishna sir. Coming to the topic, in this present world that is volatile, uncertain, ambiguous and Confucius world, we are totally clueless how the leaders should do or what the leaders should do. In fact, what business model will be sustainable? We have been seeing in different spheres that leadership change quite a lot. Whether it is Tata's, whether it is Birla's, whether it is Kotec, which the new case is going to happen today. What they are lacking is the communication of shared vision. They have their ideas, but are they able to share it to the bottom level people? In other words, we are referring to the shared vision as oneness of the organization. So has the organization through the leadership skill are able to impart the concept of oneness? And we all know that all organizations, we all know that all organizations would be formulating strategies to come out of this group. So as a result, it is very proven what we measure is what we are. So if a strategy is measured, whether it's a good strategy or a bad strategy, are we measuring it? That is the question. For measuring, it needs to be visualized. More than that, it needs to be articulated to the larger set, that is all stakeholders. In other words, we need inspirational leadership who are effective in communication. The question lies how to inspire. We all are again confused in the contemporary world, but when we look at our Puranas, here the Bhagavad Gita says, Na buddhi bedam janayed, atnyanam karma sanginam, joshayed sarva karmani, vidwan yuktaha samacharan. The simple essence. Please work without detachment. Please work without bondage. Please do not work towards the fruit of what I want. Then we can inspire others. For which the organization should set an example. The leader should set an example. Coming back. As a result, this is clear from our Puranas. Even Bhagavad Gita is very explicitly telling. Now still we are failing to implement and execute. Why that is happening? We posit that there is lack of oneness, there is lack of shared understanding among the organization which is resulting in lack of commitment. And the latest article which was published in HBR, Harvard Business Review, exactly says this, that yes, even if the leaders or the organization have a vision, it is not translated or communicated effectively to the middle management 
and automatically it is not aligned with the top management vision what is resulting the net result is either negative or organization goes for a toss so we see from a management point of view there has been a framework how to get it out which is a balance scorecard developed by robert kaplan and david norton what it says it says how to effectively implement the vision and mission and how to translate into strategies which is nothing but balance scorecard is a value creating strategy so if we put the balance scorecard framework this is the vision and mission of organization which is nothing but oneness the theme of oneness now while developing that till date we had we means organizations had the concept of financial performance so any company or organization which are financially superior seem to be better as compared to the rest however balance scorecard says yes financial performance is important but check whether the customers want what the customers want and then develop the metrics according to it again it doesn't stop what the customers want how can you improve further which is internal process and for enhancing the internal process what learning and growth that can be contributed to the middle management and bottom level so that all their outcomes are directly linked to the organizational vision and mission which is the value of oneness what we said earlier of balance scorecard is from the management perspective now is it a new one the answer is no because automatically in vedas the aikamatya sukta clearly mentioned how one organization should do it says tatra ko moha the answer or the point what they say is why are we missing oneness is because either we are affected by moha and shoka or in other words where you can say where there is no moha or shoka the vision of oneness is very clear which is exactly reflecting in the aikamatya suktam sankachadvam samvadatvam samvomana si janatam deva bhagai yata purve sanjanana upasate what it says is move in harmony and speak in one voice and think alike which is nothing but reflection from which the balance scorecard has been prepared same way another connection sukta says let the purpose of the organization let the purpose be the same and all of us be in the same mind which we are again referring to what the balance scorecard says from the financial perspective think about the customer perspective now don't stop there think about the internal process and how it can be enhanced and last more importantly it says how the intentions and aspirations should be it says we should be common it should be alike so that the ultimate objective of oneness is possible again this vedas if we look at in the modern world this is the word that is coined by prahlad that is strategic fit how an organization will be successful if they are able to align all their objectives if their strategies are aligned in the right dimension how that can be done it can be done through the involvement of lower and middle level managers and it is stated that there are two forms by which it can be done where the james the author has said there are three aspects to it one identify the resource 
second identify the capability or the potential and third please do not miss the culture this is what exactly what happened to tata coros deal this is what exactly what happened to captain gopinath why air deccan failed this is why exactly what happened to cyrus mysteries incorrect mission why he was thrown out from tata board because he couldn't figure out the cultural perspective which is more important in aligning the objectives if we refer to the vedas they are very clear they never mention the subtle meaning of culture but they said the larger purpose may we move together in the right focus and what we are proposing since we see that leadership paralysis is happening we come out with a framework which is the ideal quadrant or how it can be done and it says we are calling it as strategies for oneness this framework we are using a term adapted from mit sloan review they call it as distraction focus paradox because we are living in a world of distraction and we have to accept distraction we cannot say we cannot we don't want distraction so we say there are three quadrants which are of a negative zone the first one let's go with the x axis that is shared vision or focus where we have from low to high and distraction low to high now if i am having i means the leader is having a lack of vision and i am not ready to accept others view i am resulting in productivity paralysis i have lots of things but i don't have clear idea how to go about it neither i am interested in listening to others point of view so i yes i have but my ideas are not productive which is paralyzing my productivity on the other hand if i have a vision very clear vision at the same if i don't have a vision and i am ready for open interaction which means i am okay for distraction i get lot of ideas but i am not able to prioritize which is better and what is better and why it is better because i lack the concept of oneness or the vision which we term it as ideas overload what we call it as informational asymmetry we right now internet is like that we are doing lot of things in the internet without clear purpose why we are doing some of us not everyone we are coining from the organizational point of view what a leader has made or what leaders have done again while discussing we also find king yudhishthira was king drudrashtra was in this space where he was open for lot of information from all other people but he was confined with the maya of his son when he says something that's duryodhana says something he blindly follows because that concept of larger vision was missing missing then then comes yes i am having very clear vision but i am not ready for others opinion what happens if i succeed others will say it is because you didn't listen to us he is doing his own business the blame game happens which we see in majority of the organization whether it is political party or whether it is corporate offices satyam scam the same blame game happened chanda kochar one of the effective lady who was hired as the initial management trainee in icici bank she did laurels for the organization but once she was found that she has done something her entire rewards are penalized her retirement benefits are curtailed no organization is directly giving a different different stand the statement was 
she never expressed the desire to give this business to someone it was not openly said neither she had accepted our views so we are referring this is a blame game which is also a negative aspect and we coin which is the ideal one for a leader that is integration where we have a clean vision at the same time i am ready to listen to all the aspects that is i am okay with distraction or i prefer distraction but i am clear what to do and when to do and how to do so this is what we said it has this framework has been sorry sir paradox because we cannot live in silos only those people have been successful they are talking about 2030 action plan for agile workers so we adapted their frame and we fit into the leaders point of view how it should be again despite this is one thing which we are telling all the three quadrants on the left are failing because people are not having the concept of oneness so we referred what is the solution from advaita philosophy and it says very clearly from brihadaranyaga that dvidhiyadhe bayam bavadi when the second entity comes the fear happens when i see somebody is going to question me the fear happens when somebody is going to challenge me the fear happens now because i am distinctively different from the opposite party that is what i feel as a leaders that is what they feel i have something in my mind siddhartha case he never would have thought of a disaster of a cafe coffee day but he was slightly insecure about what is happening the moment when the public sees that yes they have got this much liability then he couldn't manage his stress this is what the media says we have to still the investigations are still on but we are referring the snippets majority big leaders Ramalinga Raju who has won the golden peacock award for sustainability and corporate governance one fine morning he is treated as a bad leader again the statement says he want to cover up bad assets or bad loans so that he were borrowing more and more all this happens because the dvithya the second party will question or that fear increases the chances of my failure again the solution says that what is the best one if i am able to see the similarity if i can understand the opposite party's point of view and i treat that as one that is the best way where pleasure and pain will be viewed in the same manner one fine morning i'll be given a reward of 200 percentage increment next fine morning where i might be punished but if i am able to see the sense of it why it is happening when it is happening i am not distinctively differentiating between pleasure and pains i can manage that negative impacts or i can become a better managed leader same way the second aspect where i am treating friend and enemy neutral or i am taking them in a different not in a different zone or i am treating them similar 
then that person excels. All these are statements from Bhagavad Gita and we are also referring to the same Advaita philosophy where why leaders fail in this century is because they think that they are totally different from the business entity. Technically, legally, yes, there is separate legal entity concept. But am I able to withstand the pleasure and the pain in the same plane? Then I can understand. For which shared vision and employee level commitment is a must. Thank you.
even there, for example, if you take any organization, Infosys, why they have been successful three generations is they have allowed, Chris Gopalakshan himself has allowed for others to work on their own platforms. Google, every one week, three days, the employee can go to other players and work for his project, not for Google. I think so we should. समस्त जनकल्याणी निरतम करुणामयम नमामि चिन्मयम देवम सद्गुरुं ब्रह्मविद्वरुं वसुदेवसुतम देवम कम्सचानुरमर्दनम् देवकी परमानंदम् कृष्णम् वंदे जगद्गुरुं तमीव माता च पितत्वमीव तमीव बंधुस्य सखत्वमीव Tvameva Vijyadravidam Tvameva Tvameva Sarvam Amadeva Deva Tvameva Sarvam Gurudeva Deva Hari Om I'm going to talk about science and Vedanta So I'm coming from a science background So I'll start with the science Science Word itself derived from the word, from the root seer, S-C-I-E-R. It means to know. And science really means knowledge. In Sanskrit, with means to know. And Veda means knowledge. So science is Veda. That means Veda means science. The very root meaning. Vedanta is the end part of the Vedas, literally, and also the ultimate science, the essence of the total science. And this is not a phonetical statement, but it's a statement of fact, just like light travels in such and such a speed. Oh, I don't believe it. That's your problem. That's a fact. A statement of fact is Vedanta is the absolute science. Because Veda means science and Anta means this is the ultimate science. So how do you say so? That's essentially what I'm going to talk about. And if it is a science means knowledge, knowledge cannot be defined. If you go to uh, Acharya Google and ask for knowledge, it will tell you knowledge of. So knowledge of what? Knowledge of chemistry, knowledge of physics, knowledge of biology. But what is knowledge? It's undefinable. So knowledge can only be defined by objectification. So knowledge of this or knowledge of that. And this, that are objectifiable entities that I can objectify and know. So therefore, any knowledge that we are familiar with involves an objectification. And objectification means According to Vedanta, it is essentially that which has a qualities, attributes, because every object is different from other object. Chemistry is different from physics, physics is different from biology, and all that. And any object is qualified because the attributes of the object differentiate that object from the rest of the objects in the world. 
That's what definition means. So any definition involves objectification, number one. Any objectification attributive is, becomes it's an, it's an inert entity. So it cannot be a conscious entity also because it has attributes, it differentiates from other object attributes. So any knowledge by definition here we are talking about is only knowledge of entities in the world which are objectifiable and which are definable and therefore they are inert. That's what the statement is. Now, the science itself involves, any knowledge itself involves three aspects, triputi. One is the knower, the pramata, and known is the prameyam, and the relation has to be established through pramana, means of knowledge. So, pramata is different from prameyam, and the means of knowledge is only each of, there are three entities, and they are separate from each other, and by individual separation, each limits the other, by definition here, because they are mutually exclusive. Now, how does the pramana operate in, the, in this? So this is where, look at from the, let's look at from the science point of view. So when I say, I see there are three pratyaksha pramana, because of perceptual things, but there are things that are subtle which cannot be seen and that which is agreed also by the objective senses, but which can be inferred, that's called anumana pramana, where pratyaksha pramana becomes a validation for the anumana pramana according to our, our tradition. And of course there is a sabda pramana, which is essentially a dependable, trustworthy person where we have faith in the, in the statements. And the science itself is science of knowledge, a knowledge of things, and things that we cannot see, at the same time we have to infer. That's all science also agrees. Suppose I have an object here, and if I object from here to I move there, so there's a change of state. How did the change of state came into picture? So, oh, you moved it. That's all you say. But from the point of science, is it, there is a force that caused the motion. That's what how in Einstein in the Newton's laws of physics says how force is defined. That which is cause an object to move from one place to other. Or in scientific definition, a change of state involves a force. That's a definition of a force. And Einstein, the Einstein was looking for, there are different types of forces, Einstein was looking for what is the fundamental force called universal force, and he could not find it. Vedanta says there is. What is that? One becoming into many involves a driving force because that's change of state. And therefore creation involves one becoming into many that involves a driving force, what is called maya. Maya is a driving, is a parameshwara shakti, we call it. It's a mayan maheshwaram. The one who drives this, and the one is the one is the maheshwara. And therefore, there is a force is defined as a change in the state, and that's what the science is. And that's maya shakti, which is a universal force. And therefore, 
the from the scientific point vedanta points out that force which is absolute force which is beyond from all your experimentally can definable it's a simple aspect i'm going to just condense it because we are running out of time also people are arguing so if you look at the point of science it says there is a pramata and knower there is a prameyam is object of known there is a pramana means of knowledge to connect these two this is what clear and we are talking about pratyaksha pramana so say how do you know anything say pratyaksha say i can see that's a simple example so i give a traditional example is say suppose i am in a pitch dark room and someone asked me is there a chair in that room says i don't know why i cannot see why i cannot see it's too dark i cannot see anything so chair may be there chair may not be there it may be existing or non existing because there are only two choices so i can use a, a, a scientific jargon say the probability of the existence of a chair or the probability of the non existence of a chair is 50% because there is only two choice actually this is discussed in a different way if you go to google ask for uh, schrodinger cat problem this is exactly what this problem is so the, is there a chair there or not i do not know therefore it's indeterminate called anirvachaniyam i don't know but when the light is turned on then the probability of that either chair exists or non existence which is 50% shifts to 100% because i can see whether the chair is there or not or i cannot see the chair is no there is no chair or there is there is a chair so now a probabilistic knowledge has become to deterministic knowledge right how because i can see so a pramata came into picture and a pramata is a conscious entity conscious entity is able to prove the existence of the unconscious entity which is the chair because chair doesn't say i am there so existence of any inert entity is established by the knowledge of its existence by a conscious entity pramata has to be there so without the presence of the conscious entity existence of any inert entity cannot be established so the swami ji was saying what is the world because this existence aspect is has to be there but the existence has to be established by knowledge of its existence so a knowledge existence means knowability has to be there that means there has to be a conscious entity in order to establish unconscious entity there so the svatantatram svatattvam is not there so anya adina prakashatvam tajadam what is that the any inert entity is that has to be established by the knowledge so existence of an inert entity is established by the knowledge of its existence in fact this is what the lakshmidarka we see in the that's going to be discussed in the one of the textbooks is the advaita the, the textbook is 
by Lakshmidhar Kavi discuss this aspect very elaborately. And when we talk about the existence of an object is established the knowledge of existence, we are bringing obviously a conscious entity, number one. Now let's look at the, what happens in a pitch dark room. Sir, why you cannot see the chair? Because it's too dark. How do you know it's too dark? I can see. Just now you said you cannot see anything. How can you see darkness? That I can see that I cannot see. That means I am able to see. Andho anando bhavati. He is a blind man knows that he is a blind because he can see that he is blind. That means in what light I can see the darkness also. I don't need to turn the light on to see the darkness. In fact, it will not be there. So I need something else to illumine the darkness also. So I can see darkness also in the, in the pitch dark room. There is one more thing. Somebody asked, sir, are you there? Yes, I am there. How do you know? What do you mean, how do you know? I am there. So it's too dark. How do you know that you are there? That means my existence need not be... I am aprameyam. I don't need any pramana to know myself. I am there as a self-existing and self-conscious entity. No pramana has to operate to know myself. Right? Let's look some more little bit of the science now. Sir, now instead of chair, I will put my hand there. Okay, you can all see me. So can you all see my hand, right? All see? Yes. Why? Because in the pitch dark room, you cannot see my hand. So to see my hand, you need a light. Right? Now I ask you, are you really seeing my hand? This is where the science little bit differs from the, the Purumimamsa actually, differs from how knowledge takes place. In the, traditionally, the mind goes along with the senses, grasps the objects. That's the information. But here, what really happens here? Without the light, you cannot see my hand. You need a light to see my hand. But what does the light do? Light, actually, you are not seeing my hand. I'm going to prove you that you're not seeing my hand. What happens is the light is falling on the hand. It is reflected by the hand, reaches your retina, forms an image on your, in your retina, which is transmitted by the optical nervous system to your brain, which goes into a neurons. That much only objective senses can tell. Then what happens? Then what happens? You see, oh, see, you are all familiar with the computers now. You know when you do program computers, it converted into plus minus signs into electrical signals. Then you need a program code to convert that into software. Without the program code, machine will not work. Hardware will be there, nothing will work. So just as the neurons have to be translated into a software and a universal program code has been put in that converts into the neurons into thought. 
thought is a software. So therefore, a program code is almost building into the brain system that converts the objective analysis of neurons into a software called thoughts. And no science can detect what thought is. A scientist may say, God is not there, but he can himself cannot prove that the thought is there or how he can establish the presence or absence of thoughts. Now one more thing. You see my hand, right? So in order to see my hand, you need a light. Now I'm going to tell you something else. To recognize the presence of the light where the hand is, you need the hand. Follow now? If I remove my hand, there's a light there where the hand is. You cannot recognize the light. There is a light. You cannot recognize the light without getting reflected by the hand. So the room is lighted. How do you know? A fundamental science fact is you cannot see the light. You can only recognize the presence of the light when it gets reflected. So when you look at a full moon in the night, the moon is shining. It's not the moon shining. It's only sunlight getting reflected by the moon. Moon does not have luminosity. And if there's no moon, where the moon is, if the, the sunlight that you cannot see the sunlight without moon reflecting. So, number one, I need a light to see this object, but I need an object to recognize the light also. Number two. Now, let's go back to this process in the, at the mental level. In the mental level, I said thought is form. How do we know? So, thought has to be, thought is also inert. Thought has to be illumined by the light of consciousness that I am and it falls on the thought, get reflected by the thought back to the mind for me to recognize the thought. Follow? In other words, for me to be conscious of the presence of the thought, I need to illumine that thought by light of consciousness that I am and it gets reflected by the consciousness gets reflected and the reflected is what is called the knowledge of the thought. So when I'm conscious of the thought means I'm conscious of the object out there with the attributes that is stored in the form of thought. You follow now? So what exactly I am seeing I am seeing only reflected consciousness of the thought, which is only reflection of the attributes of the object outside. Follow the, all the order here. If the attributes of the objects are not properly recognized, maybe I may be color blind, color may be same, but what I see is not what is there, number one. I don't see complete object when you are looking at it because this side of the back side of that is not reflected. So only reflected attributes of the objects only you can see. That's what the science also will say. Only science will stop up to neurons, whereas Vedanta tells you that consciousness that I am has to join the existence of the thought for me to be conscious of the existence of the thought. 
that's what in the vedanta paribhasha it's called the perceptuality condition where consciousness has to join the existence for me to be conscious of the existence follow and that says that how the knowledge of the object takes place in the world so every objects involves both the consciousness only reflected back to me so i am there plus the objects keep thoughts keep coming and i am conscious of this thought this thought this thought now just as i mentioned that without the reflection of an object i cannot recognize the light same way without the consciousness getting reflected i cannot recognize the consciousness also it's like a pure consciousness so i need a thought it's not a thoughtless state i need a thought but i have to leave the thought to see that that because of which the thought is seen ಚಕ್ಷುಷಿಸ್ಯತಿಸ್ಯತಿಸ್ಯತಿಸ್ಯತಿಸ್ಯತಿಸ್ಯತಿಸ್ಯತಿಸ್ಯತಿಸ್
and who am I if I want to investigate because I says aprameyam I am not an object for analysis but cognitively I have to drop all other states I am not the waking state I am not the dream state I am not the, the deep sleep state but I am that because of which I am conscious of the waking state I am conscious of the dream state I am conscious of the deep sleep state and that I am is chaturtam manyante sa atma sa vigneyaha. That is what is the fourth, we call it, it's a manyante, it's called fourth, it's not really fourth. But it goes into three states of consciousness, but different from three states. And therefore, nanta pragyam, nabhai pragyam, the whole mantra seven of this one gives the essence of how I can recognize who I am. So that that atma sa that has to be known by who by the mind only i don't have any other instruments i have to use the mind to know that i am not the mind but i am that because of which i am able to see the mind and also the thoughts inside the mind i am that consciousness that claim has to be done by clear understanding and that's what is vedanta is trying to point out because it's a pramana in the sense that it indicates that which cannot be quantifiable at the same time because of which everything is quantifiable or everything is knowable. So that pramata has to be there in every knowledge, but that pramata itself cannot be known by any pramana, even Vedanta. Vedanta is only says it's pointing in the direction, Raksharta. So it's not a... A direct means it's not going to this is you. It is pointing for us to do. So you have to leave that everything also and contemplate in the direction to see how what Vedanta is pointing out. And that is why it is a science, number one. It is a Veda. And it's Vedanta because it includes both the subject and the object together. And therefore, it is the absolute science. And that's what essentially a true meaning of the Vedanta science also. And science and Vedanta are not really different because an objective scientist only looks objective science is, a, is a real and everything is only subjective and belief system. But this is not a belief system. This is a system that has to be understood. Both the subject is involved and the object involved are together included. And in the deep sleep state, you have a state where you are beyond the space and time also. Because during deep sleep state, there's no concept of time. There's no concept of space. And just for a, a, a brief statement is, space is defined as a, a gap between two, simul two, two simultaneous observations. If I'm seeing two things simultaneously, the gap between the two is defined as space. Whereas the time is an observation of, this is Einsteinian definition, observation of two sequential events. So event one, event two, so two events occurring and the gap between the two is called the, is the time. But that's what Einstein stopped. Vedanta says it's not just two events, two observations. Observation means involves an observer, which means a conscious entity has to come into picture. Therefore, event one is an experience one and an experience two. In the deep sleep state, there are no two experiences. It's only one uniform experience, therefore no time concept also. But yet, I am there. 
because i slept very well so i am there in the waking state i am there in the deep sleep state i am there in the deep sleep state which is beyond space and time yet i am is a conscious entity and exist entity that has to be recognized using the mind only in the waking state with that i stop here because right at my time is 12:30 and uh, it's difficult here if you uh, questions i can take but unfortunately you have to write it down if you write it down it <laughs> takes more time let's have the we can talk at our individual level we'll take the next uh, talk because we have to time in concept now i i'm given this role also so next talk is by chetana radhakrishnan by experience of advaita through the bhartanatya bhartanatya margam the dance is taken as the as the source and image of all movements within the cosmos as we know angikam bhuvanam yasya vachikam sarvamangmayam the purpose of this dance is to realize release the countless souls of human beings from maya or illusions the place of dance of the dance chidambaram the center of the universe is within the heart these are the words of ananda kumara swami bharatnatyam is yoga it's spiritual though all people think that it is a media for entertainment it is a spiritual one for the dancer and also for the spectators the expertise of the artist enables him or her to gain the equipoise of yoga in a rapid change of diff differing moods single minded contemplation is difficult even when there is no activity just to sit and meditate meditate itself is difficult but in bharatnatyam actions are not avoided but it is the harmony of various actions that results in the concentration we seek in bharatnatyam margam or the repertoire we have alaripu jatiswara shabdam varanam and then padam or uh, ashtapadi or abhinaya for javli and then we go to tillana and then we go to shloka so alaripu is a simple dance item where we coordinate with the eye movements with the hands with the neck and with the legs with the leg movement and there is no emotion in this so this is where we we start meditating we start contemplating we try to contemplate and there is no emotion in this so this is where the body blossoms and uh, the spiritual bliss which is experienced by a dancer is of course what what i'm going to say is uh, is of course relative to the depth of her spiritual um, spiritual sadhana now about the alaripu alaripu is an important and direct approach to the ethical norms or standards that one should synchronize one's thought speech and action so the coordination is very important in alaripu so this is compared with the synchronization of one's thought speech and action in mathematical terms there should be one one to one correspondence between thought and speech between speech and action and between action and thought here in dance speech is taken as the walk or the sollukatus which the natwanga natwangist says like ta ta tai ta tam kita taka so it should be synchronized with the actions with the drishti with the with the griva i mean with the with the neck and also with the rhythm 
so great sages and saints always ma- maintained this one to one correspondence how often we think something and we do something the actions will would be different it could be that we wish to avoid hurting someone's feelings yet our speech is not synchri- synchronized with our thoughts so these are the ethics we follow during alaripu because it should go with the walk the action should go with the walk and then comes the jatiswara jatiswara here there is there are here also there are no emotions it is just like the alaripu but we go to some more critical passages like critical corways like more of thalas more of uh, we have to concentrate more on the rhythm where uh, the dancer will not have any chance to uh, get thoughts in between no no thoughts encouraged because we have to completely concentrate on the thala so an advaitin should be cautious about getting entangled by the emotions or maya and for that one should experience uh, experience the maya once a person experiences the emotional ups and downs his soul automatically goes in goes in search of the permanent solace so now we are trying to meditate with alaripu and jatiswara but when we sit and meditate what happens our thoughts come in between so this is what is depicted in the next one that is padavarna padavarna we have lot of uh, sorry shabdam and padavarna where we have lot of thoughts and emotions where we have navarasas where we have nayika nayika bhavas especially because nayika nayika bhavas have uh, lots of emotional ups and downs like we have many nayikas khandita nayika swadina patika nayika and um, kalahantarita like that so these emotions interrupt in between the pure nritta where we try to concentrate again in the nritta so these anayika uh, nayaka bhavas come and as swami ji said advaita has got dvaita within it this is symbolized there in varna and then padam padam also we have uh, the emotions again but where we have some spiritual aspects like jivatma and paramatma where the dancer tries to um, realize the self with the paramatma and uh, jivatma here the jivatma is the dancer herself and paramatma is the eternal bliss so here again after sorry so to pr- practice and attain advaita jnana through dance a dance ha- dancer has to undergo all these steps in in her nritya sadhana and then she goes to tilana tilana is you know she is is where the dancer stabilizes her mood like she completely uh, comes out of her thoughts and completely get involved get gets involved in the th- in the adavus in the fast movements in the fast muktayams and that is where she enjoys the most the stability of mind or the calmness of mind and she is ready for the self realization and then comes a shloka where in shloka she is completely devotional completely she she's uh, she surrendered to her uh, self uh, this thing uh, for and uh, this happens only if she is a mumukshu because nowadays dancers and gurus are like you know um, they don't realize the spiritual aspects of dance and they go th- and they they don't have the spiritual bent but once the dancer knows about all thing all these things only then she can Uh, experience these things experience the advaita or the oneness um through her dance so this is this is what i just wanted to say because i'm just uh, um i just didn't prepare uh, the ppt for you all so i just wanted to give you a glimpse of this so this is how a margam is 
um, is given to us by the Tanjore Quartet. They have given the uh, marga with the spiritual uh, aspects in this. So this is what I just wanted to uh, share with you all, the experience of Advaita uh, experience in the dance marga, Bharatnatya marga. Thank you. Yeah, because uh, the composer of the song, we, we, when we compose the dance itself, when we have a composition, we just think of the uh, mood of the composer, like when, she com when he or she composed or how, in what situation this has happened or which, what bhakti or shringara or whatever it is. And then we compose it accordingly. And then the, the, we depict it and spectators should be well informed. Only then we, he can, you know, we can reach them. Because this is classical art form, um, it's difficult to reach everyone or we can maybe explain or we can try to bring out that is what, you know, even audience have a, uh, has, got, has got to got some lakshanas. Yes. 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 No. That is what is actually because even the spectators will and uh, will uh, experience the rasa as well as the dancer. But But, uh, but no, uh, no, I don't agree with this because uh, we can see many dancers, you know, like they completely get involved only when the dancer is involved and when the dancer can uh, uh, experience that only then I think the spectator can experience it. I've been dancing forever. See, for me, as a dancer, I can say, if I am performing and there is an abhinaya, I don't recognize the abhinaya. I live in that abhinaya. I kind of become one with the abhinaya. It depends on the state of mind of a dancer also, how mature, how not mature. Some dancers probably dance for the audience. But when you do your duty 100% well, then audience automatically will begin to enjoy yes. it. So the audience really never comes to my mind um, once I enter the stage. Before entering the stage, of course, you know, I have this thought, 
you know, the audience are there, I'm supposed to, you know, perform this, and uh, I hope, you know, all the adabus are correct, I hope, you know, my abhinaya is good and all that. But once the abhinaya goes, then there is no me. There is only that feeling of whatever that situation is. And the interesting thing I just want to mention to you, it's not, I'm not trying to take your no, space, no, no. you know, please uh, that, that forgive me for that. That is my opinion also because I yeah. have experience. You know, if, if I'm dancing, for example, a, a storyline like uh, Draupati Vastraparanam. Now, I have to be Dushyoshana, I have to be Duryodhana, I have to be Draupadi, I have to be Krishna. Can I just tell the audience, hey, now I finished my Draupadi, now I have to, you know, become Krishna, now I finished my crying, you know, as Draupadi, let Krishna come. Or Dushyoshana saying, you know, I have done my job. No, it doesn't happen that way. It is so spontaneous that I switch myself as, you know, from one character to the other character without my own knowledge. I think that is what probably um, the, the truth is. Uh, the truth is because in Maya, it's, it's in my, I'm, I'm not a Vedanti, so I can't go there. But I think when we are playing different characters, in our mind, there is no withdrawing of a character. That knowledge is not there. We're not thinking, I'm withdrawing this particular character and I'm entering another character. Then the audience will see the gap. That Mrunali stopped dancing as Duryodhana because I myself, you know, I'm thinking like that. I have stopped yes. Duryodhana. So for me, it's a continuous experience. And every character that I perform, I merge with that character and Murunalini is dropped completely. I'm neither thinking of the audience, nor thinking of anything, just I'm going, I think uh, the, the sound is the one that takes me to that spiritual experience. I think that's... Yeah, we, we come out only when that is concluded. You know, the music is done and we are out of the stage. You have to be done, sir. No, in Japiswara there are no meanings that, as such. That is yeah. the assumption, but I'm asking as a experience or as sadhaka, and if yes. you start contemplating on the swaras, will you be able to generate meanings? Yeah, yeah, sure. Like and uh, you know, it again she told it depends on the maturity of the dancer also. Because, you know, when, uh, when a beginner dances, she dances to the words, like ninne, nera, nammi, nanura, like that, you know. It's just uh, immature, kind of. Then when the dancer herself, she, uh, she goes into more sadhana, more practice, then she will be not doing the word-to-word -word meaning. She'll be just uh, explaining the whole gist, but you'll be understanding. Whatever she does, she'll be understanding the word meaning also. She'll not do the exact word-to-word -word meaning. So she'll come out of that. She'll go beyond that. So that is how we build. In the beginning, maybe they can't because they can't, uh, as a practitioner in the beginning, definitely she can't get involved in that. But later on, we get involved in that and we can also reach the audience as well as we can get involved in our, our uh, dance performance. Yes. 
No, uh, no, no. Actually, Tanjore Quartet has given the repertoire for everyone, for all the styles, all the schools. Not only for Tanjore style. For all the schools, this is the common uh, margam we have. Alaripu, Jatiswara, Shabdam, Varanam, these things. Adeo Sarada, Saradam, Hoja, Vadana, Vadanam, Buje, Sarvada, Sarvada, Asmakam, Sanidis, Sanidim Kriyat, Sutis Pratipurananam, Alayam Karanalayam, Namami Bhagavat Pada, Sankaram, Loka Sankaram, Sarvebhyanamaha. My topic is Sri Sankaracharya, Oneness in Action. As you know, Sankara lived for 32 years and his life can be divided into two halves up to first 16 years and the latter 16 years. <laughs> the first 16 years can be classified as theory and the next 16 years can be classified as action or practice. So uh, Sankara by the age of 12 or 13, he went to Badarinath and in a secluded place wrote, completed all the writings, the Bhashya for Prasthanatraya and all the Prakarna Grandhas. By 16, he laid a firm foundation for the Advaita philosophy, a theoretical base for Advaita philosophy. So uh, when he was writing Bhashyam for Brahma Sutras, Bhagavan Vedavyasa came, came to him and had long discussions on how he is interpreting the Brahma Sutras. So after the discussions, he said he was very pleased with Sankara's interpretation. And after Sankara completed all the Bhashyans, he tells Bhagavan Vedavyasa that I have accomplished my mission. I laid the Advaita philosophy on a firm foundation. Now I am ready to leave this mortal body. But uh, Bhagavan Vedavyasa says, no, your job is not done. You have, you have written commentaries, excellent commentaries, but you have to take these into the public and get it accepted. So, he extended his life by another 16 years. So, the next 16 years, it is all action, action, action. And you see the kind of energy that Shankara showed in the last 16 years is amazing. He never took even one moment of rest. So, let me explain what he has done in these 16 years. That is, Advaita or oneness in action. So when Sankara appeared on the stage, the situation of Sanatana Dharma is very pitiable condition. It will, we have six main branches like Saivism, Vaishnavism and those things and so many Upasakas are also there. So hundreds of branches and subsects and all divided and they were there were many, many great scholars of these, propounding these uh, sakhas, and they were fiercely fighting among themselves. So, at a stage has come when Sanatana Dharma is about to disappear from this land. So, at that stage, Sankara has appeared. 
and he decided the mission of his life is to bring all these sekhas under one patam that is the advaita and this is a monumental task so how he went about this is he engaged in debates scholarly debates with the scholars of all these branches and and get over them and uh, made them realize the truthfulness of the truth of advaita philosophy now the sankara exhibited two things in this process one is samanvayam that is integration he integrated the philosophies the theories the ideas everything under one thought and the second one is his universal outlook he is not a narrow minded person he did not say that you should accept advaita philosophy only and renounce your theories when he debated with the scholars of others branches and sects his purpose is to show them the deficiencies the defects and misinterpretations in their thought and make the corrections and then follow your path so this process is called unity in diversity he allowed diversity to prosper but at the same time you there should be a unity towards advaita philosophy this is the greatest accomplishment of shankara and in uh, other ways also in this process he un- unified all the 72 branches and he showed some very intelligent things in this process one is he introduced what is called panchayatana paddhati so as we know there are six main sects saivism vaishnavism and all those things so he as a as a peaceful process he suggested that you follow panchayatana paddhati when you do the puja you put your the god of your choice at the center suppose you are a follower of shiva put shiva in the center and the other five gods around but don't denounce or don't hate any god that is the catholic outlook that he brought to hindu dharma so that's why if you see the hindu temples although there is a main deity you have so many upa alayas in every temple so many gods coexisting this you cannot find anywhere else and uh, towards uh, national integration also he worked a lot he did so many things when he went to badrinath he recovered the idol of narayana from narada kunda and installed badri narayana and at that time he brought nambudri priest from kerala as priest for badrinath they are still there continuing similarly in uh, pashupatinath temple in nepal he appointed priests from karnataka to the temple that practice is still going on see his vision towards national integration and also he introduced the concept of chardham yatra chardham you know gangotri yamunotri um, kedarnath and badrinath when selecting these things his outlook is kedarnath is his saiva chatra and badrinath is a vaishnava chatra so both coexisting so anybody doing this yatra they have to visit all the 
fourth places. So while selecting Gangotri and Yamunotri, the, the divinity and the environmental consciousness of the holy rivers, he, that is in his mind. Now, last May we went to Chardham Yatra and every day there are some 30,000, more than 30,000 pilgrims visiting these Bajarinath and Kedarnath. So they are all from all over the country. So how much integration, national integration he could achieve it? So we have seen in history many empires built like Roman Empire, British Empire, Ottoman Empire and all those mighty empires. And they lasted for a few hundred years and collapsed. But Sankaracharya, if you see, he is the greatest empire builder in the history of mankind. And his empire is cultural empire, not the geographical or political empire. And he did not kill, in building up this cultural empire, he did not kill even one person and did not spill one drop of blood. And this empire that he built is still existing and it will continue to exist. See, we are from so many different states in India, isn't it? And each state has its own language, culture, food, dress, dance, everything is different. Each is like a separate country, but still there is an underlying unity that is the cultural unity because we respect Ramayana, we respect Mahabharata, we respect the same Vedas, Upanishads and the same Vedic traditions. That is the cultural unity that Sankaracharya has brought about and that is the empire he has built up. And he also, another integration he brought about is in Bhagavad Gita. So if you see Bhagavad Gita, there are three things, Karma Yoga, Bhakti Yoga and Jnana Yoga mainly. And he is embodiment of all the three. Karma Yoga, he is always on the action in this last 16 years, action, action, action. And Bhakti Yoga, he wrote stotras on all gods, no discrimination. And Jnana Yoga, all his Bhashyas, Prakarnal, Jnana Yoga. So he integrated all the three yogas of Bhagavad Gita in himself. Sankaracharya is a personification of Bhagavad Gita. So the time is running out and I conclude this uh, talk. Thank you. <laughs> Any questions? This is not a topic to do in five or ten minutes. We need a lot more time. Yeah, I know. Thank you.